0: This is News Morning Magazine. It's Thursday, August 24th of 2023. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Coming up on today's program, we'll hear how Colorado in general, and Boulder in particular, is positioned to play a key role in bringing semiconductor chip development back to the U.S. Then, Radio Nibbles host John Lindorf will be in the studio for all things local food news. After the the bottom-of-the-hour BBC News update, it's a public affair. Host Tish Buford speaks with Jennifer Orff, programming director for the Aurora Fox Theater. After that comes the August edition of the Radio Book Club. This morning, we'll hear best-selling Colorado author Peter Heller speaking about his latest book, The Last Ranger, a novel about the animals and people who live in and around Yellowstone National Park. Then at 9.30, Ginger Perry will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. All that's still coming up, but first, it's time for the headlines
1: with KGNU's Benita Lee. The Boulder County District Attorney's Office announced Wednesday that the man accused of fatally shooting 10 people at the Table Mesa King Supers is now mentally competent to stand trial. The mass shooting occurred on March 22, 2021. 24-year-old defendant Ahmad al-Aliwi Alissa was found unable to stand trial in December of 2021 when his attorney said he had schizophrenia. Alissa had been receiving treatment and several evaluations since that first postponed trial date. Prosecutors say doctors at the Colorado Mental Health Hospital in Pueblo say Alyssa does not currently have a mental or developmental disability that would prevent him from being able to understand the criminal proceedings or to consult with his lawyer. There has been an influx in migrant arrivals in Denver over the past week, which appears to have taken the city government off guard. KGNU's
2: Ivana Levas has the story. City data shows 104 immigrants arrived this Monday, 68 on Tuesday, and 61 yesterday. More than 300 new arrivals in Denver have been recorded since late July. At the start of the summer, the city transitioned emergency shelters and recreation centers back to their intended use, meaning the city currently lacks physical spaces in which to provide the large number of migrants with service. In June, Denver Human Services proposed a $40 million contract with private security contractor Garda World Federal Services to oversee migrant shelters, meals, and other logistics. This proposal was shut down after nonprofit groups questioned the role of a war zone security company in humanitarian services. Instead, Mayor Mike Johnston has drafted a proposal for local organizations to aid the migrant influx through meals, shelter, transportation, and other donations. Many, if not most, of the migrant arrivals only temporarily stop in Denver on their way to somewhere else. For KGNU, I'm Yvonne Olivas.
1: The state of Colorado is suing the Environmental Protection Agency, better known as the EPA, to stop public access to air pollution records. KGNU and Report for America's Jackie
3: Sedley has the details. The EPA says Colorado agencies, as well as citizen watchdogs, cannot properly enforce the Clean Air Act unless everyone has open access to polluters' records of what they spew into the air. The organization says it won't fully approve Colorado's required plan on how it will address ozone and other pollution issues until state regulators make it easier to find those records. Colorado's tactical response was to sue the EPA to fight off opening records. Robert Cayley is a Colorado attorney on air pollution issues at the Center for Biological Diversity, and he told the Colorado Sun that, quote, the attorney general's office is spending hundreds of times more taxpayer money on suing the EPA than it would cost to agree with the EPA, that more transparency for polluters is a good thing and give the public access. On the flip side, Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser said state health officials believe there is adequate public access to things like polluter permits and company reports, and that making easier access would actually divert money and time from fighting pollution. The EPA said Tuesday that it cannot comment on pending litigation. For KGNU and a report for America, I'm Jackie Sedley.
1: An emergency response exercise was held at Denver International Airport on Wednesday. KGNU's Pam Johnson has more.
4: The FAA requires that the airport and its staff exercise emergency procedures every three years. The simulated emergency this week was a plane crash and leveraged over 400 airport volunteers. The exercise prepares airport staff, as well as partner police, fire and medical agencies for a number of emergency scenarios. During the exercise, the Airport Emergency Response Center was activated and procedures were executed that involved notifying the public, requesting and receiving assistance from authorities, and reuniting families, according to KTVR and Nine News. Airport media contacts say staff executes emergency response procedures more than they have to. However, these exercises are rehearsed more intensely and thoroughly when they're doing so to meet compliance with Part 139 of the Federal Code, which requires these preparations. For KGNU, I'm Pam Johnson.
1: Longmont City Council members approved three questions for the November 7th election ballot. Voters will decide whether to fund a new $72 million rec center, a $25 million library, and an $80 million arts and entertainment center. If approved, taxpayers would kick in $45 million towards the new developments. Also slated for the ballot is the question of whether the city should swap land with the local YMCA. Longmont would use the YMCA's current location for affordable housing in exchange for $12 million and Centennial Pool. An aerospace company based in Colorado Springs will nearly triple its facilities and create over 600 new jobs. Bocor, established in 2000, was considering expansion in Huntsville, Alabama, or Ogden, Utah. According to the Denver Gazette, the company was swayed by over $7 million in job growth incentive tax credits awarded by the Colorado Office of Economic Development and International Trade. Other local city incentives are pending final approval. BoCo representatives also said the Biden administration's recent announcement that Space Command would stay in Colorado Springs rather than move to Huntsville also factored into their decision. Tropical Storm Harold may be making some appearances in Colorado this week. Harold made landfall over southeastern Texas on Tuesday. Leftovers from the storm are expected to bring periods of heavy rain in Colorado on Friday and Saturday. Meteorologists say tropical downpours are possible. Up to three inches of rain could hit northeastern Colorado, including the Denver metro area, on Friday. And the San Juan Mountains may start experiencing some of that heavy rain today. And for the front range, mostly sunny today, wind gusts between 16 and 24 miles per hour, with a chance of showers and thunderstorms this afternoon. In Boulder, a high near 90 and a low around 63. In Denver and Fort Collins, a high near 92 and a low around 66. For KGNU, I'm Benita Lee.
0: You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Shannon Young. Remember how at the height of the pandemic, a shortage of semiconductor chips locked up the auto manufacturing supply chain? Well, it certainly got the attention of the federal government. Last year, the U.S. Congress passed a bill known as the Chips and Science Act. It invests billions of dollars into bringing semiconductor research and development and manufacturing back to the United States. Much of those funds will be coming to Colorado and its high concentration of federal research laboratories.
5: The Historic Chips Plus Science Act is the largest investment in scientific research in generations.
0: That's Colorado Senator John Hickenlooper.
5: $52 billion to affirm and reaffirm our commitment to science, to innovation, to being on the cutting edge. Uh, NIST is one of the most crucial partners in all of this.
0: NIST is the acronym of the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Hickenlooper's remarks came at a ribbon-cutting ceremony last week for a newly renovated wing at the NIST Boulder campus. The renovated building will host the CHIPS R&D Metrology Program. NIST is proud to be leading the CHIPS for America efforts to expand the nation's leadership in semiconductor design, in manufacturing, and in R&D Lori Locasio is the Undersecretary of Commerce for Standards and Technology and the National Director of NIST. This program will drive innovation in microelectronics and ensure leadership in the United States within this sector for decades to come. After the ribbon-cutting ceremony for the new facilities, I caught up with Dan Salvetti of the Colorado Office of Economic Development and International Trade and NIST Boulder Laboratory Director Marla Dowell.
6: NIST is is this special agency where we're advancing measurement technology to make people's lives better. And that sounds kind of generic. And people might say, "Well, how does measurements make people's lives better?" But it's everything from um, we're creating the technology to do to measure methane emissions better, so that we can reduce methane emissions from oil and gas. Um, deployments to uh, things like what are the measurements we need to ensure that first responders can have the communication technology they need all the way down to when you go to the gas pump and you pump gas how do you know that that gallon
0: is a gallon. Something that was mentioned several times during the ribbon cutting ceremony or the speeches leading up to it was CHIPS. What is CHIPS and what is its significance to this renovated building?
6: So Do you know what a semiconductor chip is? Maybe not, okay? But you have a cell phone, and your cell phone is made up of those semiconductor chips, okay? Your car probably has over 400 different kinds of chips in it, everything from the chips to run your windshield wipers to the chips to monitor your gas. And one of the things that we discovered, unfortunately, during the pandemic, people might have seen the shortage of trying to replace a car, It turns out that the fact that one major car manufacturer didn't have those chips for those windshield wipers meant that in a 12-month period, they could only have three full-time shifts. They had the people, but they didn't have the supplies that they needed to actually make the cars. And that drove the Chips and Science Act to bring back... Um, semiconductor chip manufacturing to the United States. This is something that the United States invented in the 60s, and over the last 30 years, we've gone from having over 30% of the semiconductor chip production in the United States, to now I think it's only about 10% of the semiconductor chip manufacturing in the United States. This is is like a critical point, I think, for the U.S. Um, And what we've done with the Chips and Science Act, it's similar to the call to to send a person to the moon. Um, we're bringing together across the entire ecosystems universities, um, federal labs, um, state governments, and also um, um, private companies like this to have this united call to bring this technology back. It's going to lead to hundreds of thousands of new jobs in the United States. It's going to, um, when we did the, the moonshot, it led to new departments at universities, creating departments like electrical engineering departments. I can see us doing something similar as a result of this $52 billion investment in the U.S. economy. For Colorado, this is critically important. Um, we heard the governor earlier today say, uh, talk about how we have semiconductor manufacturing facilities in the state of Colorado, but with the Chips and Science Act, we'll be able to grow that ecosystem. And speaking from the NIST perspective, I am so excited about the opportunities for us to move this technology forward and bring it back
0: how did the technology end up going offshore in the first place was it a cost thing
6: Um, part of it actually maybe I'll turn this over to Dan but part of it was a cost thing part of it is a workforce development piece we need more electrical engineers but I think this is really a unique opportunity for us to think about I'm a physicist by training, my dad's an engineer, he always wanted me to be an an engineer. But you can turn physicists into engineers and you can turn other people into engineers as well. And in Colorado we have a number of jobs where people are doing engineering like activities and here's an opportunity for us to pivot that workforce to, to support a concentrated effort. I don't know if
0: that answered your question or not. <laughs> it does, but you know, before I, I move over to Dan here, I want to ask, is is there anything else that you wanted to add that I didn't bring up with my questions? Yeah, I would say that for me, from, from somebody who's um,
6: led research programs throughout my career here at NIST and who has a passion for solving problems that impact people and their daily lives, I've worked on things like better laser measurements for uh, LASIK and photodynamic therapy and also laser welding, we have an opportunity now to do this focus call on something that's going to impact everybody's daily life in a way to do science more collaboratively and in a way to invite in people who might not think of themselves as scientists and engineers. Um, And for me,
0: that's really exciting. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to step one step this way and talk to dan
5: nice to meet you my name is dan Salvetti. i'm the semiconductor industry manager for the office of economic development and international trade commonly known as oedit for the state of colorado
0: okay well we just talked about the science behind semiconductors now tell me about the economics
5: absolutely uh the technology that underpins uh the microelectronics universe is among the most advanced in the world. It keeps us competitive and helps us grow the industries of the future. The amount of industry, jobs, and economic output that is based on these technologies is quite frankly uh, almost impossible to to estimate. Everything from, as uh, Dr. Dow mentioned, your cell phone, your car, Timing, not only for radio broadcast but also for financial systems globally, uh, satellite communication is all based on uh, common microchips at this point.
0: So in this position that you have, what is your vision? Where do you want to see things here in Colorado with semiconductor manufacturing two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now?
5: So. Colorado already has a strong and diverse semiconductor ecosystem. Our vision is to help that ecosystem grow from within. We know there are a lot of states that are focused primarily on uh, attracting big-name companies in the space for one large fab. We're not opposed to such investment, in fact we Uh, absolutely welcome it but our focus is on our local ecosystem right now so we're getting engaged with all of our local companies who have operations whether it be design research and development uh, actual fabrication or packaging and testing Uh, we want them to know that this program exists a lot of them do thankfully uh, but in case they don't especially if they're smaller players and we we want to make sure that they're able to access the funds Uh, through support from our offices at Oedit, State of Colorado and any connections that we have. So within the next two years, we expect to see uh, somewhere around a dozen projects being launched depending on whether they're in fabrication or or another part of the supply chain. And I should also mention that supply chain includes uh, materials and equipment providers, which we do have in the state uh, uh, plenty. And in the next five years, we hope to see a burgeoning, growing, self-sustaining semiconductor ecosystem uh, as one of the anchors of the national semiconductor ecosystem.
0: Daniel Savetti, is there anything else that you want to add that listeners should know?
5: Absolutely. Uh, This is a once in a generation opportunity to help the American economy stay at the forefront of technology development in the global arena. Uh, We will see jobs, new technology, and new industries spring out of this investment, which is $52 billion on the semiconductor side, but overall is a $280 billion program in science and STEM-based industries. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: That was Daniel Salvetti of the Colorado Office of Economic Development and International Trade. Before him, I spoke with Dr. Marla Dow, director of the NIST Boulder Laboratory and director of the CHIPS R&D metrology program. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. Up next is Radio Nibbles. When you hear that, you know that John Lindorf is in the studio to catch us up on local food news and an array of wonderful food festivities coming up shortly. Good morning, John.
7: Good morning, Shannon, and good morning, everybody out there in the KGNU uh, multiverse. If you're sitting around uh, the giant breakfast table out there, I've got a bunch of uh, really cool events coming up that uh, you should think about uh, attending because they they really are uh, cool. Um, coming up, uh, there's like August 27th coming up here. There's just a lot going on. Uh, For one thing, there is uh, an end-of-summer festival. It's very cool. It's a traditional Japanese festival at Osaka's Boulder, which is right next to McGuckin's. Um, And they're going to have takoyaki okonomiyaki, which is the wonderful uh, pancake. And uh, very tasty and uh, sweets and Japanese kids games. Anyway, that's August 27th from uh, 3 to 7. Very cool. Um, Another event that I'm very excited about is uh, it's a Slow Food Boulder County um, benefit dinner, uh, August 26th. It's at Jacob Springs Farm, which is uh, in East Boulder and uh, it features uh, Gambian-born chef uh, Modu Jaita, and um, the uh, farm itself is run by a a Lebanese uh, immigrant, and the proceeds from the meal are highlighting diversity, or the proceeds are going to benefit uh, local African-American farmers, uh, which is a you know, there's, there's not that many of them, especially around here. Um, so, again, that's August 26th at uh, Jacob Springs, and you can go to Slow Food, Boulder County, to find out more. Um, also, it's uh, the continuing celebration of the Sinks, 125th anniversary. And you know how much I love uh, history and food history, but uh, there's a new exhibit opening at the Museum of Boulder. Uh, the opening... of uh, August twenty seventh of the sink uh, exhibit. Uh, it's, it it spotlights lights the food, the beer, the culture, the music, and the art of this uh, place close to uh, the CU campus. It also, uh, if you go on Sundays through the fall, you can view the new hundredth uh, anniversary documentary on the sink, which includes commentary uh, from uh, yours truly. Um, I'm also uh, I want to encourage you to. Attend the Maui Strong Fundraiser, which is uh, next Wednesday from 5 to 8 p.m. at Button Rock Bakery in Lafayette. I don't know about, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there, but when I saw the footage uh, from, La- from uh, Hawaii of the uh, fire, I suffered, and it continues when I see it, uh, it's, it's PTSD. I live in Louisville. Not far from Superior and Marshall and all that. And uh, it, it struck that same terrible chord. And uh, there are going to be food trucks and uh, people selling drinks and, uh, you know, events for uh, kids and everything. They're looking for more vendors. Um, and uh, it's uh, all the money is going to uh, Maui Strong. And, uh, so that's next Wednesday at Button Rock in Lafayette.
0: Okay. Well, um, something that I've been eating lately and I know that there was, maybe I've already missed it, but is there a peach festival coming up or did That was, already, that, that ah. was, la-
7: that was last weekend. Okay. Although it's one of those odd festivals because, uh, I mean, there's a lot of peaches around anyway and, and they don't grow in Lafayette.
0: Right. Well, and peaches were the best thing I ate <laughs> lately. <laughs> 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 I was like, we just, um, John, what's the best thing you've eaten lately?
7: Um uh, and well, hold on a second. Uh the best thing I ate lately was at uh, a new panaderia in um uh, in uh, Lafayette. Sorry, I lost my place here. Um and um the uh shop is called, excuse me a second. Panaderia Traditional so they have all the baked goods, the conchas and the cakes and the, the great, uh, the bolillo, you know, the buns for sandwiches. Um, but they also have uh, really interesting ice cream sundaes and things. And um, some of the, the savory snacks that I'm not sure uh, most folks are familiar with. Uh, the one that fascinated me, uh, there's, there's a bunch of them that are built around essentially uh, pickled uh, chicharrones, uh, pork skins, but there's uh, chilindrinas. So you've got uh, pickled pork skin, cabbage, tomatoes, avocado, hot sauce, crema, and lime, and probably a little bit of that uh, spice. Tajine? Tajine. Tajine, yes. Anyway, it's at 1312 Centaur Village Drive in Lafayette.
0: Which is right in front of?
7: Centaurus High School.
0: Okay. All right. Well, you can listen to podcasts of previous radio nibbles at news.kgnu.org. And if you haven't been to the main site, kgnu.org, you'll see that it's looking a little different. Got a new website, folks. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but news.kgnu.org is still the same, at least for now. And what's coming up next week?
7: I'm really looking forward to this. It's a Labor Day discussion about an organization called CHOW, which addresses mental health issues in uh, restaurant and uh, hospitality workers. So um, it's going to be a a great discussion, a very important one.
0: Okay, and you can check out John's column at Boulder Weekly and send comments and questions to nibbles at boulderweekly.com. Thanks,
1: John.
7: Bon appétit.
0: That's it for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host and producer, Shannon Young. Thanks to Benita Lee, Ivan Olivas, Pam Johnson, Jackie Sedley, and John Lindor for their contributions to today's program. Stay tuned for A Public Affair with Tish Buford, followed by Radio Book Club with Maeve Conran. That's coming up just after the BBC News
1: headlines.